So everybody take a deep breath. We are not adversaries. We are partners. And we're, this is the beginning of a partnership. And let's treat it like that. My name's Mike Lander, and you're listening to Marketing Negotiations, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in partnership with The Drum, where we bring you negotiation insights from CMOs, agency leaders, and acclaimed authors. Ian, thank you ever so much for joining us on The Drum's Marketing Negotiations podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. Good to be here. So... Uh, we had some great conversations before, particularly around music. I seem to remember. We did. <laughs> did I started my I started my career as a, a young pup in the music business, and I have a lot of a lot of fond memories, and also glad to be out. <laughs> so, do you want to just like tell people about kind of basically who are you in? Uh, who do you work for? What do you do? Some background and some something about your kind of background that's not work. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, current. Uh, Chicago resident and born and raised in Chicago. I've lived in London, Colorado, New York for 12 years. Um, I am a single dad who I uh, co-parent two boys, 16 and 12, with a, uh, a wonderful ex-wife who lives right down the street. Actually, she'll wow. probably hear me right now. <laughs> uh, started my career on the client side, as I, as I noted, at Sony Music and then yep. uh, at Nokia. And for the last 16 years or so, I've been on the agency side. So working for Razorfish, Ogilvy, um, Wonderman Thompson. And now I'm currently the North American CEO of Iris, which is a global creative and innovation network. Something about myself that's not work-related. Uh, my true passion is skiing. Right. Uh, which I do as often as possible or as much as my checkbook allows. I just yeah, got yeah. that actually a couple weeks ago. Uh, and I've run seven marathons, and I'm training for an ultra marathon in June. So, I saw. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. Amazing. Yeah. In fact, um, I went on a run uh, before the sun came up. I finished my run this morning. It was cold and wet. And how long was that run? Uh, this morning was just seven. <laughs> he says <laughs> casually off the tip of his tongue. Just not seven. By the way, not kilometers, miles. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to be clear, it's miles. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Let's get into the questions before I start feeling any more embarrassed or old. Uh, so, Ian, we talked about uh, one of the questions around, you know, what are your kind of top two, three tips for brand and agency leaders uh, when you're negotiating commercial deals, especially in the kind of current market, principles, approaches, anything you'd like to share? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I, I think when I think about negotiations, I think the word in the business context can be very charged. Right? It's it's a it's a uh, sometimes thought of as a zero sum game uh, where it's really dog eat dog. And I guess my philosophy, right or wrong, is that it doesn't have to be that way. It can actually be very collaborative. It should be very collaborative. And if both sides are intent on getting a deal done and conducting yourselves with uh, respectability and kindness and empathy, you can get there in a way that um, often kicks off a relationship on a really good note. I think that's one thing. It's just negotiating in good faith and with empathy and kindness. I think the second is um, really being upfront at the beginning of a process about 
uh, with the other party about what the what the non-negotiables are, right? So you can better understand where the puts and takes can be, right? So let's be honest and upfront and grown up about this and talk about where are you not going to move off of so we can put those aside and figure out where we do have room to come to a compromise. And I guess the last thing is, particularly when it comes to an agency and a client, which is the only world that I know, um, the deal is likely to get done. In fact, I don't, I can't think of a time where I've seen a deal fall through. Um, and the goal is to get there in a way where both sides feel good about the deal and to usually do it with some expediency. And so the more you can talk about the deal before you're awarded the business, the more you can get that on the table at the beginning of an RFP process, which, as you know, can go on for months and months and months, the better you are set up when the business is awarded to the agency to, to start the negotiations and get them done kind of quickly and, and get to work, get to the important stuff. So, I mean, interesting you talk about it not being dog-eat-dog dog and also it not being as kind of zero-sum game. I think, you know, a lot of people say to me, oh, you know, I'm a win-win negotiator. Well, the reality is well over half, if not three-quarters of the deals that I see are, in fact, one side is claiming more value than the other. And, you know, what you're saying is it doesn't have to be that way, but negotiation is almost kind of set up for it to work out like that. And that's what's disappointing is the construct and the setup is almost like kind of one side's bound to lose because one side's got a fixed budget. One side's trying to reduce or make savings. One tried to sign to win the deal and um, optimize the outcome for all parties. It just, it just seems like it, it can be set up to fail really easily. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking, you just made me think about uh, when I was in business school, took a class, I think it was on negotiations, actually, this is a long time, this is now more than 20 years ago. And the particular professor that I had philosophically believes that there's there was no such thing as a win-win negotiation. By virtue of negotiating something, someone loses. And um, I, don't, I don't know that I subscribe to that religiously, but uh, usually one side does come out better than the other. I think there's, I think part of uh, an elegant negotiation is um, getting what you want and also giving the other party the perception that they've gotten what they want, right? So there's a, a value perception and it, that's not being underhanded or undermine, undermining the process. It's, it's just making the other party feel good about where they've landed as well. So, uh as we discussed, there'll be rabbit holes that we go down, some of which you might go, I'm not going to talk about that, and some of which you will. <laughs> so here's one that just kind of sprang to mind. Um, have you got any examples or just kind of thoughts, comments on where you've created a lot more value at the back end of the deal than you did at the beginning? And what I mean by that is we often, so as an ex-buyer, I go in with, right, I've got this scope, I've got these deliverables, I've got these timescales, um, I've got a budget, I need to fit all of that into the box I've got. And by the way, I want to chip 10% off the price, or as Blair Ends would say, 20% on his podcast. Um, and then occasionally, I've worked with a supplier that's turned into a partner where we've just created a much bigger deal for them and for us. We as the buyer 
have got a lot more value out of it because often they've aggregated services. They've brought in three or four different things to solve some quite big problems we've had. It's made your budget bigger as a supplier partner. It's made our ROI bigger and it's solved a bigger problem. But that's rare. Any examples of when that's kind of happened? (laughs) Yeah, well, actually a lot of examples um, and and I'll speak generally, but I, I think when I hear you, talk about that. What I think about is the conflicting pressure that I have on my end when I'm negotiating a deal to get the biggest deal possible right off the bat, right? And on day one, what's the maximum amount that we can get out of this deal? And um, I think there's very much something to be said for, and, and, and I've done this several times where you say, let's not go for the biggest deal right off the bat. Let's nail some kind of core services. Let's prove ourselves. We're a new entity, right? This is, this is, a, this is a company that is putting a lot of trust in what we do uh, without having worked with us before. Let's prove ourselves. Let's have a conversation up front about what proving ourselves look like, looks like. Uh, and what we could step into in the future, let's roadmap that out. Let's set clear KPIs and, and clear milestones. But I, I do think there's something about resisting the urge to, um, to try to capture the entire pie all at once and rather think about how can we really elegantly tackle this slice of the pie and actually at the end of the day, end up devouring a much bigger pie. And and that's a win for us on our side. And like you said, it's a win on the uh, on the buyer's side because they're they are realizing certain efficiencies by virtue of the fact that they're kind of buying more of an agency services and and they're not naturally kind of advantages to that. But what I like about the way you described that, I haven't thought about that before. We always talk about in negotiation increasing the size of the pie, but the nuance that you've kind of laid out is. Well, let's talk about increasing the size of the pie for both of us at the beginning. Yeah. But let's start with something more straightforward, more provable. Let's build some trust by delivering what we've said we can deliver right. um, at quality. And then if that goes well, we know what the future roadmap looks like for more value creation. And then we can step into the next phase. Yeah. I mean, you think about, maybe not the most popular thing to say, but you think about... I say one of the lines, and it's it, it's not a line. It's I mean it genuinely. One of the things I say to clients every time I get off the phone with a client, no matter how long I've been working with them, I usually say some form of thank you for trusting us with your business. And what I'm trying to acknowledge is that it is a big leap of faith to work with a new supplier, with a new agency, with a new partner, and uh, these are clients that can be spending tens of millions of dollars with, with, with agencies that they don't have a relationship with yet. And, and as we know, also making a selection based on a pitch process, which is, which is so kind of removed from the reality of how day-to-day agencies work together. It's, it's such a, a, a strange kind of, you know, thing that it's not how we operate on a day-to-day basis. So you're doing this dance sometimes over the course of several months and you're saying, trust us, we're the best. And they 
select you, but I think there's something to saying, okay, let's start moderately and let's work our way into this, you know? And I, I think it shows confidence also on the agency's part, to be honest with you. No, it definitely does. And that, I think yeah. that comes also with a uh, maturity. And I don't, I, in no way is maturity a proxy for age, not in the slightest. Oh, yeah. But the, the, the maturity I'm thinking about is commercial, matu- commercial maturity, negotiation maturity. Having been around a number of deals, that may have been over a short period of time or it may have been over a long period of time. But the ability to sit there, put your pens down and just say, can we stop this for a second? Yeah. Can we just talk through practically what's going to happen on day one, how this is going to work, how, how are we going to know that it's working, how are we going to build trust? Yes, there's the KPIs. Yes, there's SLAs. Yes, there's a contract we can always go back to. But no one wants to get the contract out. That should stay no. in the drawer. Right. So how on earth are we going to do this together? And I think right. having the confidence to say that, although it sounds very simple and obvious, actually moves the conversation forward quite a long way. Yep, it does. I've found it. It has, yeah. So let's move on to the second bit now, which is mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. My God, I've made hundreds. I'll still make them yeah. now. Um, yeah. What are the biggest mistakes you've made in negotiations? And what would you do kind of differently with some hindsight? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, <laughs> probably fairly common, to be honest with you. Uh, the first is injecting emotion into the negotiation. I think the important context is, I was thinking about this this morning, actually, on my run. Um, you go through, I went through this two summers ago. I went through a four or five month pitch where I spent every day, all day, Saturdays and Sundays included, working on this pitch. And you become very emotionally invested in it, right? And when you get that call, which we got, that we won, that you won, it feels so personal. And you you can go into the negotiations feeling so proprietary and so personal about it that you can be blinded to what the best actual deal is. So so that that that's one thing. And I don't know how to <laughs> I don't know how to alleviate that other than being aware of it, um, bringing in uh, objective counsel, partners, uh, 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 advisors, whoever it may be, to say, look at this for me. Tell me how we should be thinking about this. People who have no emotional attachment to it. So I think that's that, one. That's yeah. the kind of, so just on, the, on that as a reflection, um, I guess I would say this because it's what I do. But... I think bringing someone in like me who's, you know, an ex-buyer comes at things without an emotional perspective at all, doesn't understand the creative because I don't understand the creative. It's not my bag. But bringing in a third party, whoever it is, could be someone inside your own company, couldn't it? It could be a fellow CEO from a different region to come in and challenge your thinking and challenge the deal and say, is this still a deal that we want to do as a business? Someone on one of my podcasts a couple of weeks ago, said something really, uh, again, the simplest things are always the most insightful. And she said, you know, there's, you're negotiating with two entities. You're negotiating with Ian, Ian Son, the person, and you're negotiating with the company that Ian represents. And it's really dangerous to negotiate to Ian's agenda if that's at odds with the company's agenda. 
And so what you've just said there, I think, is where you get emotionally invested. I was at KPMG, and we used to have, uh, on Big Pictures, challenge partners. So right. the partner would right. come in, and they'd challenge us as a team, uh, the pitch team, they'd challenge our thinking, they'd challenge the commercials, and it was a really constructive process. And some of those deals were like, this is a bad deal for us, we're going to walk away, or we're going to reshape it. Right. But either way, we're not doing what we're doing that's on this page. I think what's interesting is you said you're negotiating with two people, the person and the the enterprise. I would add, uh, this is a little hippy-dippy, but I would add you're also negotiating with yourself, with your own, you're negotiating your own fears, your own anxieties, your own excitement, your own, you know, you you become, uh, you become something that you have to really think about, you know, am I being true to myself? Am I being true to the business? Uh, am I doing what's best? Am I doing what's right? Am I doing what's hard? You know, am I taking, am, am I not just taking the easy path? So uh, emotion would be one. Um, I think the second is, and these are all kind of related, right? So in the interest of getting the deal done, I have done this myself and I see it happen frequently, conceding a point today without really thinking about what the future ramifications could be. And that's hard because you're dealing with the practical today versus the theoretical down the line. But really taking the time to play out over the course of however long it is, months, years, decades, whatever it is, is there going to be a point where this thing that I'm giving up is going to be problematic? Absolutely. Yeah. One of the hardest things is sometimes even knowing what those are. Just even seeing them. So I was going to say the um, that I think that I think what I found the hardest thing is understanding the implications of the concessions that you're making or the trade offs that you're making for the long term. What I'm a big fan of always always on big deals is I, I'd, I'd be part of a team, so there'd normally be like kind of two or three of us. And yep. what that helped us really do on big deals was really think through the implications of what we're about to agree to, and yep. we'd. Um, we'd challenge it. Again, same thing. We'd get a whiteboard and we'd work out what's all the things that could possibly go wrong if we agree to this. What's our worst fears, our worst nightmares? And when you do that as a team, you get a much richer view of what the risks are and actually saying, hmm, we need to back off on this a bit. This isn't going to work. Because if that scenario happens, that could be catastrophic for us. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, And the last one that I would put out there is, and I, I talked about this a bit earlier, is the mistake of starting the negotiation once you've been awarded the business. You know, ideally, you've got the framework of a deal in place yeah. before, before you're even awarded the business. And that and that takes um that takes foresight on on my end. It also takes a a negotiating partner, a procurement partner often, who's willing to have that conversation and engage her or his stakeholders in that conversation. But if you can have the the major deal points, at least kind of in theory, philosophically talked about and worked out, uh, then you're dealing with kind of some of the finer points and, and language, et cetera. So just Starting as early as possible, I've always found is is best practice. And just adding on to that, Ian, around, um, I always used to say to my legal teams, um, I draft out a one-page, one-side principles of the deal document. 
before the lawyers got anywhere near it. Yeah. And I'd go, when you put this into the contracts, make sure all these principles have been adhered to because it's what we've both agreed to from both parties. And that saved an awful lot of um, messing about between legal firms and an awful lot of time and money. The uh, Ideally, the lawyers get on the phone last and they're... They're working through specific language, but uh, business terms are are worked out between the business partners. Exactly. You don't start negotiating by by uh, getting the T's and C's and going That's through right. all the terms step by step That's and right. getting, you know, I've got 100 negotiation points. Well, no, you haven't actually. You've got 100 nuances of wording that are important, but that's not the commercial negotiation. I think, again, sometimes that isn't understood. That's right. So we're going to run out of time. We could talk all day, and we won't. Okay. I'll respect your time. We've got about seven or eight minutes left. Okay. So a couple of other questions: um, demands and interests. So just for people listening, um, there's a big difference between what someone demands, their position, and their underlying interests or their motivations. And I think often we get caught up in trying to focus on and negotiate around the demand without stepping back and saying why is that important to you. Has that ever happened where someone's just stuck to these positions and demands? Yes, it has. In fact, it happens all the time. Right. Um, And I have found it happens in kind of, there's two scenarios in which it happens. One is when the purchasing or procurement team is not looked at as a strategic partner to the business, right? So you've got a a a, a this a procurement person who I have tremendous respect for the profession, who's simply trying to deliver on demands. Exactly. Right. Yeah, you know, hundred and twenty day payment terms. Exactly. Or termination at will clauses, or whatever it might be. Exactly. Uh, and 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 the more that you can have direct contact with. The, the actual client with the CMO or whoever it may be to understand the needs, uh, the, the, the more fruitful the conversations end up being. I think that's one thing. I think the second thing semi-related is when you, when you are negotiating with a complex enterprise, and by complex, I mean particularly large or multiple business units or multiple geographies or, or a combination thereof, you've often got different discrete pockets who have different discrete needs, but you're trying to negotiate a deal for the whole enterprise, the whole business. And what becomes challenging is is convincing them or showing them the value of not looking at it as, here's your business unit one, here's your business unit two, and business unit three, but here's the holistic solution. And here's why we want certain resources to go across different units. And here's the advantage. And, and it may be, it may be messy on your end from an, from a finance perspective or budgeting perspective. Because yeah. it we crosses can, budgets between the Because it crosses budgets. That's exactly right. Where we don't really have that problem on our end. Um, but here's the value in it. And, and by the way, We'll work. We know it's messy on your end because of the budget issue. So here's the structure. Here's the philosophy. We'll work with you to parse it out so it makes sense for you on a, from a budget perspective on paper, on spreadsheets. But here's how it's going to work operationally. 
So interesting example of that is, um, which is very uh, relevant kind of in today's environment is any kind of digital transformation program, any kind of you know, customer journey mapping, um, it's going to cross at least two departments, IT and marketing, yep. and possibly more. Yep. Customer service probably as well. So yep. yeah, finding a way as an agency to help the client understand how budget allocations and reapportionments and reapportionment is going to work. I think it's important. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So a couple of things. Um, anything um, kind of funny that's happened in negotiations or any games that got played without naming any clients or naming any people? Ha, just ha, ha. kind of things there's, where you went, oh my God, did that really there's, happen? There's two, thi- there's two things that, that come to mind. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine who I used to work with the other day. We were actually talking about this. Uh, one is I remember negotiating a deal a few years ago with a very large uh, pharma company here in the U.S., and the procurement person was fresh out of the U.S. Army. Ah. <laughs> and uh-huh. it was, um, it felt like that. It was, uh, there, there, it was, uh, there were, there were orders given. It was very orders given. It was, uh, incredibly formal. Uh, it was, and as you can tell, I'm not a very formal person. It was fine because I realized this person was like, yeah, I, I'm making this up. 25 years old. For, Fresh out, fresh out of the military. This is how they had been indoctrinated. Sure, they'd been very successful. They were in a big role. And so I went with it. I kind of, you know, I I, I respected it. But it made for, uh, especially when you work in an advertising agency, it made for very uh, unfamiliar kind of conversations. Absolutely. And you've yeah. got to tune into them. Because there's no to. point in saying they should change their attitude. Why, why, no. how, where, where's that going to get you? No worse. Of course. <laughs> no The second one is, it, it's not that funny. It was just, I remember it being, uh, it feeling like a dream almost. Uh, a few years, this is probably five or six years ago, uh, I, I had led and won the, the biggest deal, that the biggest pitch I had ever led before, and, and we won it. Uh, well, it's part of the story. Uh, the... The procurement person who was great and I loved him, he refused to say the word win. Right. right? <laughs> so we were the only agency left. Right. I said, Have we won? He said, You're on the path. <laughs> and uh, we negotiated the deal. Brilliant. And I said, Have we have we won? Now, this is basically because I wanted to. Tell the agency we won. Exactly. Yeah. We want to celebrate. Yeah. And it was, uh, well, we're close. We're feeling really good about it. And uh, I think it was not until literally the ink was dry. By the way, God bless him. I mean, it's, 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 he's right. Uh, semantically, he's right. Uh, it wasn't until the ink was dry in the contract that he said, now you can tell people that you've won the business. And I Correct. thought, you have, this has been a six-month pitch, and you've tortured me for another two months. It's like the worst two months of my life. But uh, yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, it is true. And I have had deals at the very last minute get pulled. So huh? I've always been quite cautious about saying whether someone's won or not. So huh? I, I can kind of relate to that. Yeah, I can too. I can too. Now, the flip side of that is that there's a, the second, having been the second place agency plenty of times, there's a second place agency who's on the other yeah, the other end of the phone going, have we lost? Exactly. <laughs> and well, the same person's going, well, well, you haven't lost. You haven't lost. The race isn't, <laughs> the race isn't over yet. Right, right, right. Uh, okay. 
Have we won? Well, no, but you right. certainly haven't lost yet. Exactly. Frustrating. Exactly. So a couple of last things. Yeah. Um, one simple thing, but it's a, probably an, an entire topic in its own right. In the current in- economy, given globally, yeah. most economies are having economic troubles, um, societal problems, um, and huge inflation, um, significant input cost rises. How do you negotiate price increases with clients in this kind of environment? So a couple of things, and I'll, I'll be quick about this. First of all, you have to create the fairness argument. Yeah. So, hey, listen, these are the cost pressures we're under, the inflation, supply chain. We tried not to get to this point, but this is where we're at. So creating that fairness argument. And then wrapping your arms around and giving a bear hug to the, the value conversation. Why are we yeah. still worth it? Here's our results. Here's our service level, et cetera. Now, inevitably, the other party is going to come back and say the same thing regarding price pressures and supply chain extent. Which right? is true. Which is absolutely true. And I think what you have to come back with, you, you have to do your homework. So let's say you're negotiating with a seller. You have to cut, do your homework and say, we know that you've been able to command a 10% price increase in the market. We're asking for a 5% increase in, in our fees or whatever the numbers may be. Um, so you get it, right? You understand you're going through it. You're doing it. We're asking just for the same kind of consideration. And then also working through what alternatives could look like a longer term commitment. Exactly. Uh, volume. Uh, no termination for convenience. Payment terms, growth incentives, everything back on the, everything's back on the table. Yeah. But really, really establishing the, the fairness of it the value you provide, getting them aligned on that, and then talking about how can we how can we solve the problem together? Exactly, problem solving. So mutual joint problem solving, I think, exactly. absolutely is definitely a way a way forward. And the fairness argument based on objective criteria, yeah, That's based right. on indices that you're looking at, which everyone can independently validate. Okay. Right. Ian, it's been fantastic. I knew it was going to be great. Um, some summary points: the top couple of things in your head where you go. If if we were sat down having a coffee and there were two other agency leaders and one CMO sat with us, what would be your headline? A couple of things to think about when you're negotiating going forward. The deal is likely to get done. And there's a way we can do it that everybody feels good about, not only what the deal points are, but how we got there. Yep. That set us up for a really good long-term relationship where we can both grow and prosper. So everybody take a deep breath. We are not adversaries. We are partners. And we're, this is the beginning of a partnership and let's treat it like that. That would be, that would be my main message. Perfect. Ian, it's been amazing. It Where can people find out more about you and, um, and your business? They can find out about me. Oh, I quit Twitter uh, about four months ago. Uh, yeah, they, yeah. Can, they can find out about There's me. There's a common theme here. On, 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 link, on LinkedIn or uh, at ianstone.com. Um, name of the agency is uh, Iris Worldwide. And uh, I hope you check us out. And uh, we're doing some great work and we'd love to talk to you. Ian, thanks ever so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Drum Podcast series on Negotiation Insights with your host, Mike Lander. Please subscribe so that you'll catch the next episodes from our global marketing industry experts.